you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Judges chapter 10, verses 13 to 14. This is one of those messages I don't want to preach, but here we go. Seems to be happening quite a bit. I don't know. Somebody better get it or it'll be here forever. <laughs> Judges 10, 13 to 14. Uh, it says, Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you. In the time of your tribulation. Uh, I'm going to call this one, Don't Come Crying to Me. Let's uh, pray once more together. Jesus, hallelujah. We thank you, God, for your spirit and your presence that's here and your word that we're going to get into um, this morning. I pray, God, that everything be clear. I pray in Jesus' name, God, let there be no misunderstanding. I pray, God, that you would help us to I understand what you're trying to say to us today, Jesus, and draw us closer uh, to you in, in the name of Jesus. Let your will be done, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can you can be seated if you like. The jacket comes off, it means it's serious. Or it's too hot. <laughs> I don't know if you remember when you were a kid and your parents told you not to do a thing, and uh, but you insisted on doing it. Anyone? 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 Or your your kids would insist on doing a thing and you told them not to do it. What would you say? What would your mother say? Maybe your father. I don't know. Don't come crying to me when you break your neck. Don't come crying to me when you break your arm or you lose an eye or smash your head or you get hurt or stung or whatever it is. Has anyone ever had that said to them? Apparently, that's from the Bible. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think they knew that when they said it. But I've said that to my children a few times and they always come crying to me anyway. Um, so I'm a little... I don't know if the word's cautious to preach this, because there's a, a bit in here that um, will most likely be taken the wrong way, and I'm worried about that, but we're going to go into it anyway, and I hope that you don't uh, take it the wrong way. But Judges chapter 10, 13 to 14, again, it says, Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. So what's going on here in this? This passage, um, I'm glad you asked. That will help us move into this a little easier, make the introduction easier. Thanks for asking. In the, uh, let's start at the beginning. In the book of Judges, if you're familiar with the book of Judges, there's this ongoing theme or pattern that uh, repeats over and over, which is what a pattern does. But Israel has a leader or a judge, and they follow God for a bit, and they obey the law, they worship him, they sacrifice, and... Um, they honor all the feasts and they do all the things they're supposed to do and life is good and God blesses them and uh, everything's great and then 
you know, no one defeats them. They're not conquered. They have victory over the enemy. They're successful as a nation. Amazing how that happens. Um, and then the leader dies. And every time Israel backslides again. Every time they stop following God and every time they start worshiping other gods like all the people around them. Every time. It's like if they don't have a leader constantly harping on them, telling them what to do, they'll stop doing it. And my goodness, doesn't that sound like some of us? We'll live holy as long as the preacher preaches it every week. Or we'll give as long as it's mentioned every week. And we'll show up if someone calls us. But if no one does, boo-hoo, no one likes me. And I'm not going to. I don't know about anyone else, but I choose to serve God because of who he is, not because of someone tells me to do it, uh, and you should do what is right because it's right, not because you hear it that Sunday. The truth doesn't become untrue because it wasn't preached this week. You can't preach the whole Bible every week, or we'd never go home. But people's is people's, right? Moving on. So this thing that's happening right now has happened many times already um, in the book of Judges. And Jephthah, he's the next judge that's going to be on the scene. And this is the eighth or ninth judge in the book, depending on how you view the man Abimelech. But um, so this thing's happened several times already. So we're going to pick up the story at the beginning of this one and see what happened. So Judges 10, 5 to 6, and Jer died and was buried in Cammon. So Jer was the last judge, so he dies. And verse 6, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, or did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not him. That's a long list. And so, again, their leader dies, and again, Israel does the same thing. And I, I want you to notice who they serve here instead of God. It says, or just kind of backtrack a bit. It says, uh, Balaam, which is Baal, the god of fertility, and Ashtaroth, the goddess, which is often pictured as Baal's wife. Um, they served them. Judges 3 and 7, before this, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals. And the Asheroth and uh, the gods of Syria. This is the first time that Syria is mentioned in the Bible, but it was an area that changed hands a lot around this time. At this time, it was most likely controlled by Assyria, but um, this is the first time that they're mentioned. The gods of Zidon, which is a city in Canaan, Judges 4 and 2. If you go back, it says, The Lord sold them in the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Syria, and they lived in um, a place. The gods of Moab. And the gods of Ammon, who have been around since Genesis, and Ammon has already helped Moab conquer Israel. And Judges 3, 2 to, uh, 12 to 13, this is before my boy Ehud comes on the scene. It says, and, and the peoples of Israel did what was evil uh, in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done that was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered unto himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms, which is Jericho. And then... Um, the gods of the Philistines they worship in Judges 3 and 11. Uh, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goat, and he also saved Israel. Do you know what I'm saying here? You probably don't. 
was a mess. But these gods that they choose to worship in Judges chapter 10 are the gods of the people that God has already delivered them from. Except for um, Syria. They're not just following some random gods or some random idols or things. They're following and worshiping the gods that they have already been delivered from and they have already been set free from. And they're going back to the gods that have ruined their lives already. The gods whose people have already enslaved them and God has delivered them from them. They were turning to their past and they were going back to where they came from. In the case of Syria, it looks like they're adding some new nonsense into the mix, if you will. And I think it's funny because when we look at these stories of Israel and look, look at the story of Judges, we're like, oh, they're ridiculous. They keep doing the same thing. And um, we can get on our little our high horse to look down our noses at them. And I can't believe they did that after all God has done for them. And I can't believe they turned to those things and he knew this was coming. But we do the very same thing. And God will deliver us from something and we'll go right back to it as soon as Something happens. He'll lead us out of sin and we'll head right back to it. He'll lead us and heal us and, and work in our lives and deliver and save and touch and fill us with his spirit and cleanse us from our sins and all these things. And we'll head right back to the world and we'll head right back to the gods of this world and start serving them. And we'll sacrifice at the altar of convenience and we'll give up the things of God because it's not easy at the moment and because we can't even or because we had a rough night or a bad week and we'll give up the blessings of God for pleasure uh, of a moment and he'll lead us out of a life of sin and we'll spend our time watching people commit those same sins over and over on a screen while neglecting our Bible and prayer and he'll forgive us and we'll turn around and hold grudges against others and when tragedy comes and hard times come we'll turn our back on God and turn to the gods of the world and we'll look to them for guidance and for leading and we'll look to them for instruction and advice and we'll turn to them for help and we'll try meditation and yoga and positive affirmations before we'll try prayer and spending time in his presence and we'll pull our friends for answers instead of going to him and his word and we'll turn to a crutch or a vice from our past instead of letting him lead and oftentimes it's the very same thing that he's already delivered us from first corinthians 6 9 to 11 says or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality or thieves or the greedy nor drunkards or revilers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god for such were some of you but you are washed and you are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. These are some of the things that he's delivered us from. Some of them. There's many more things. And we deceive ourselves that we think we can go back to those things whenever it's convenient and be saved. And this is where Israel is at. And Israel is hugely influenced by the society around them. And we would be incredibly naive to think that we are not. I have never seen church folks so worked up about politics as I have in the last few years. I have never seen us so caught up in outside drama as we have been in the last few years. I've never seen us talk so much about celebrities and all this stuff and movies and whatever. And there used to be a time when we didn't know things 
I'm not saying we need to be ignorant, but they're, they're, our priorities have changed. There used to be a time when we didn't pay attention to this stuff. It didn't matter. And now that's all that we talk about. It's all that consumes us. And the way that we walk and talk and dress and eat and act and the words and phrases we say and everything we do is now being influenced by the culture and society around us. And that's not necessarily a good thing. And I know that we live in the world and we shouldn't be ignorant to what is going on. And we should, you know, eat healthy and whatever and do, I don't know, the right things. But if we aren't careful, we will soon find ourselves worshiping the gods of this world again. Entertainment, convenience, pleasure, knowledge, self, money, vanity, pride, ego, the things that God has delivered us from. And Israel goes back to serving the gods of the people around them. They want so much to look like the world around them. They want so much to be like the world, and yet they want the benefits of living for God. They want the peace of God, but they want the pleasures of the world. They want the joy of the Lord, but they want to be entertained by the world. They want the salvation of God, but they also want the things of the world. Do you see what I'm saying? They want it to be different, but they want it to be the same, and you can't do that. It's either one or the others. And there have been a few themes that have popped up over the last little while. This is not intentional, but obviously this is something that God wants us to get because here we are again. And I don't set out to do this. I don't know. Maybe it's me that needs to get it. I don't know. But I'm just going to keep preaching until we do. It's either one or the other. And so because it's one or the other, they leave God and they start serving these other gods full time because you can't half follow God. You can't half serve him. If you try, you're always going to go full the other way. You can't ride the fence to salvation. And Judges 10 and 7 says, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. God gets upset. Why? Because he's a jealous God. Because he loves us so much, he doesn't want to share us with sin. 8 and 9, it says, in the year, and that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel. 18 years. All the children of Israel that were on the other side of Jordan, the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin, against the house of Ephraim. And so that Israel was sore distressed. And so God turns Israel over to the people whose gods they've decided to serve instead. Ammon and, uh, and the Philistines. And basically, he says, you want to serve the gods of the world? Go ahead. You want to put all your time and effort and devotion and pleasure and entertainment or things of the world? Go ahead. But just know on the other side of that is pain. On the other side of that is trouble. On the other side is woe. Whoa, whoa. We, if we insist on serving the gods of the world, he's going to let us. If we want to live in sin, he'll allow it. Because we're making that decision. We have that choice. But don't be surprised when you end up being oppressed and suppressed by these gods. 
Don't be surprised when it ends with heartache. Don't be surprised if we end up in a pigsty like the prodigal son. Don't be surprised if you wake up alone and, and devastated and so far from him you don't even know what happened. Nothing good comes from serving the gods of the world. And Israel insisted on serving the very gods that they had been delivered from. They served the gods of the people who enslaved them. And now they're enslaved again. Tell me how that makes sense. Can't serve other gods willingly and then expect God to deliver you and protect you when it goes badly. You can't willingly live in darkness and sin or live like the world. And then when the world does what it does, it oppresses, oppresses and crushes and destroys. And then expect God to say, oh, oh no, stop that. Step in and you make, we make our decisions. You chose this. You made the decision. I made the decision. Israel makes the de decision. You followed them. You worshiped them. No one forced you. No one made you to do it. Don't be surprised when the people of the false god rule over you and you look to them for everything. It takes 18 years and Israel cries out to God in verse 10. It says, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, we have sinned against thee both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. And they realize after 18 years, after they get conquered again by the enemy, after they get stomped and beaten and destroyed and chewed up and spit out or whatever metaphor you want to use after they go through it again. Now this is the part where it's going to be misunderstood. You want to know why sometimes God allows some things, this is, some is the key word, things to happen. Not all the things, don't mishear me. Some things. The Ten Commandments, you're familiar with these? First two. Exodus 20, 1-5, God spake his words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God." He said, I am a jealous God. He is the one who delivered. He is the one who saved. And he's not going to share this glory. He's not going to share this worship with anyone else because he's done it. And he is a jealous God. The first two commandments, no other gods before me and no graven images. Why? Because he says, I'm a jealous God. He does not want to share with anyone else. And we will insist on creating false gods. We will insist on worshiping false God. And I honestly believe that God allows, again, some things to destroy these gods in our lives. In his love, he knows that these other gods will destroy us if we continue to follow them. And he allows some things to take place to destroy these idols. Not everything that happens is for this, but sometimes. If it takes us 18 years to get it, so be it. And this is going to be controversial. But we as Pentecostals and as Christians are not exempt from making false gods. And sometimes they are not so obvious. Sometimes we'll take gifts from God and we'll make them into idols. Look at the children of Israel. They take the gold that God gave them when they left Egypt. A blessing from God and they turned it into a golden calf and made it an idol. 
And sometimes we will take a gift from God, and if we are not careful, we will worship the gift instead of the God. Sometimes, as weird as it sounds, and again, please do not take this wrong, we will worship a gift instead of God. We have, I have seen people worship praise and worship, and everything is about the act of praise and worship, creating atmospheres, whatever that means. I've heard entire messages preached about praise or worship without hardly ever mentioning the God that we're supposed to worship. And it's a fine line, yes. But when it becomes about the experience or it becomes about seeking the feeling, or for lack of better words, the high that can come from praise or worship or time of worship, then we are in a weird place. It's a fine line. Sometimes, sometimes we can make prayer false God. And I'm not saying you don't need to pray. You need to pray. But sometimes we focus so much on the act of act of it. And I gotta get this time in or it doesn't matter. I gotta pray more than this person. I gotta do this. I gotta put on a show. I gotta if I don't pray X amount of hours and it doesn't count we can focus so much on the act that we miss who we are praying to. Music Only certain types or certain songs written in certain periods or instruments are the right ones or anointed. We're not going to go into that, but sometimes we can even make faith a false idol. We think that if our faith is big enough, it's something I can build up my faith and faith and faith, and we're not, our faith needs to be in God, but we just focus on, I don't want this to be misunderstood. But we think our faith is big enough and strong enough and great enough then we can make God answer a prayer. And it becomes a matter of pride. And I believe sometimes he allows prayers not to be answered the way that we want because we've made faith and sometimes we've made our prayers and the effectiveness into idols. And please, I don't misunderstand you. As if we can control everything. Or we can set preachers up or people in the church or ministries. And people will worship the worship experience and forget who they're worshiping. They'll worship the gifts and we'll have people that chase prophecies. And we'll worship the healings instead of the healer, the blessings instead of the blesser. Or we'll seek signs and, and wonders. And even though Jesus said it's a wicked generation who seeks signs, but signs follow them that believe, not the other way around. We don't follow the signs. We're not exempt from creating false gods in our lives. And God will do whatever it takes and allow whatever it takes to destroy these false idols. If that means him being silent or not answering the way that we want, then so be it. And I'm not saying that every time a prayer is not answered, the way we like it to be, that we're worshiping false idols. It's just saying that could be the case. Please don't. I'm in no means saying not to do these things. These things are necessary, but they're gifts given by God to connect us with Him. They're not gods themselves. And it's a fine line, and it's hard to tell sometimes what side we're on. 
Please continue to pray. Please continue to worship. Continue to have faith. Continue to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. But keep our focus and our worship on Him. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't. Sometimes we can resemble the Pharisees of the New Testament and look like we have it all right, but in fact our focus and our worship is on the wrong things. And sometimes it's more obvious. Sometimes it's like the case of Israel in, in the book of Judges where we just were blatantly worshiping something else and our priorities make that very clear. And so in the story, he allows Israel to be overtaken by these Nations whose gods they've been worshiping and, and he's had enough. It's been years of this. Over and over and over. And God gets fed up. So they come and they say, oh God, forgive us. We've been, we, for, we, we, we forsook you and we worship Baal. And, oh God, we're so sorry. Verse 11 to 14, it says, And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did I not or did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines? These are the ones that just took them. The Zidonians also and the Amalekites and the Moanites did oppress you and you cried unto me and I delivered you out of their hand. It says, haven't I already delivered you from these false gods and these people? All these and more. Every time you cried to me, every time you came to me, I delivered you. I answered every time. And then verse 13, he says, Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. And he said, Again, still you turn your back on me and still you serve these other gods. Even though I had delivered you from them, you went right back to them. You went right back at it. And so, no more. I've had enough. He says, go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. He says, go pray to those gods. You made your choice. I'm done with you. Let them deliver you. And there comes a point when we've acted the fool long enough, when we should know better that God can get fed up and frustrated with us. He says, you want to insist on doing things like the world? Then go ahead. You want to insist on living like the world and prioritizing like the world? Go ahead, but don't come crying to me when it becomes a mess. Don't skip church and teach your kids it's not a priority. Live like the devil all week and then expect them to be miraculously saved. Don't live like the world all week and then wonder why things are messed up. And if you want to watch and listen and read perversion all week long, don't wonder why it creeps into your house. If you want to entertain evil, don't wonder why it's in your house. You know better. You've been told. You've been delivered from this stuff. And you continue to go back to it. And eight times Israel had gone through this and God finally says don't come crying to me go cry to these gods it's your turn Trisha and Israel came to God and they said oh we've done a terrible thing we've turned our backs on God we worship these other gods and to us that looks like repentance right so it's kind of shocking that God's response was basically, 
Don't cry. Don't come crying to me. Go to them. What's going on here? Israel was trying to manipulate God into delivering them. Oh, we've done this before. I know what to do now. If I just say, if we just say we're sorry, he'll save us. If we just say these things, he'll, he'll give us a judge, he'll raise someone up, he'll get us out of this mess, and then we can go right back to it again. I know what to do. I've been here before. I've done this before. Well, there was no real change. And again, how many times do we try to do the same thing with him? With no real change. Oh, well, if I just say this, if I just pray this, if I just let a few tears fall, if I just make this promise, if I just bow my head, if I just come on Sunday morning, if I just give in this offering, if I just say this or that, maybe I can convince God to do what I want him to do and I can get him to step in and touch and heal and do the things and then I can go back to doing whatever it is I want to do. We try to manipulate him with our words or with our tears like children that come <laughs> crying because they want something. After you told them not to do a thing. I've done this before. I know what to say. I know how to repent. I know what words to say. I've done it. I remember just go to the altar. I just put a few minutes in. And then he'll take me out of this mess. Maybe if I just... Say these words. But it doesn't work like that, and God saw right through it. Because repentance isn't saying a certain thing and trying to trick God into doing something. It's not until after God says, Go cry to them, that Israel responds properly. Verse 15 and 16. <laughs> The children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. That's what they said the first time. They said, Do thou unto us whatever seemeth good unto thee, and deliver us only, we pray thee this day. And they put away the strange gods from among them. And they served the Lord. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. And then we know that again he raises up a judge later delivers them. But they did three things in this passage, three things that are vital for repentance, to be true repentance. One, they submitted to the will of God. They said, do thou unto us whatever seemeth good unto thee. They stopped trying to control God. They stopped trying to manipulate them. They took responsibility and ownership for the sin that they committed. That's the first step. God, whatever, I did this, whatever Whatever you want to do to me, I submit to you. Have mercy on me, oh God. Like David prayed. And then they made a change. It says they put away the strange gods from among them. True repentance needs a change. It's an action. You can't repent and keep doing the same thing. It would be no good for them to say, oh, forgive us. God, we, we worship these other gods and then keep all the idols in their homes and keep all the idols in the wherever they went to worship. 
they got rid of the other gods. They made a change. Oh, God, deliver me from this. And then go home and do the same thing. That's not true repentance. I'm not saying you're not going to fall or make mistakes. But to willingly do that, that's not true repentance. The third thing is, it says, and they serve the Lord. They serve God. They stopped serving something else, and they served him. They turned from one thing and went to another thing. And then God responds. And that's when he starts working. And that's when he starts putting a plan into place to deliver them. And that's when he raises up someone. But it's not until they truly repent. I know this was a little wrong, a little hard. Today, I think some of us are in that same kind of place. We have repented before. We've said the words that we thought God wanted to hear. You ever do that with your teacher or something? You don't really understand the answer, but you know what words they want you to say, so you just say it. Or to your spouse, I don't know. Sometimes we just say things that try to get out of a situation or say things we think people want to hear. And maybe you've done that before with God. Well, if I say this, then it'll be fine. If we just go back and do the same thing. We said the thing that we thought he, he wanted to hear, but then we kept everything else the same. God is calling us to true repentance today. And true repentance requires a change. Take ownership, submit to the will of God, make a change, and serve Him. And we can't truly repent and then continue to do the same thing. If we're going to turn from following other gods or false idols, false gods, whatever, you're going to have to get rid of them. We're going to have to remove some things. We're going to have to change what we do in our spare time, what we do at home, what we talk about, what we allow in our lives. Maybe you've seen this play out in your, in your life before. Maybe you've seen and felt like God has allowed these things to happen you can't figure it out and you've said the right things and you've done, oh I did this before, I know what to do and you, you've tried it and maybe there's some idol in your life that you haven't realized you need to get rid of this morning and perhaps you allowed something else to take its place and maybe it's even a gift from him, maybe it's something that he's given us and if this is the case we need to repent this morning truly do it So this is your chance today to turn to him completely. I don't know who needs to hear this. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Hopefully I'll get it soon. God's trying to do a work and he's trying to lead us. If we're going to continue walking after other things, 
place to let those other things take over. So I'm going to give you a chance this morning to take some time and turn to him and not say the things that we think he wants us to say. Well, like make, make a change today. Get rid of some things if we have to. Get rid of some of these false things in our lives. And serve Him completely. Turn to Him completely. And then He's going to deliver. And then He's going to work. And then He's going to do the thing that you've been asking Him to do in your life. Amen. Hopefully that made sense. You didn't misunderstand that bit in the middle there. We're going to open the altar or you can pray in your seat, whatever. Let's just find a place and pray this morning. Let's spend some time in his, his presence. Let's let him work and speak to us. In Jesus' name.